you so much for joining us this week at Zion City Church with teachings from Pastor Andrew Rael. We believe that God still speaks through His Word and His people. So right now, lean in and listen to the Holy Spirit. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and brings you into a deeper love and worship of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Zion City Church. Right now, fear and anxiety and worry are running rampant. Um, if you've been to the grocery store, you've seen this is the case. Uh, flocks of people are hijacking toiletries and Germex and things. You know, they're lo- they're loading up cartfuls, and people are losing their minds um, all over social media and things like that. Is just this this wave of fear, this wave of anxiety, this wave of worry. And granted. Not all of it is unwarranted. Like the coronavirus is real and it's happening. I know there's a conspiracy theorist out there that's like it's all government hoax and there's no evidence to prove that's the case. Thus, is not the heart posture of a follower of Jesus. But you ask me then, how do we live in a moment like this? How do we live in a moment where things seem to be falling apart all around us? There's really two paths that we can take. There's a path where we retreat in fear and often lean on our own understanding, our own control, our own willpower, our own way of doing things, thinking, all right, God, I know you're somewhere out there in the ether doing something, but I'm going to get all the toilet paper I possibly can and hoard it in my house until we figure out what happens here. Or you start building your apocalypse bunker, right? There's this retreating in fear. But the other heart posture, and I believe this is the heart posture that God wants us leaning to, is to run after his presence anyway. To be faced in the moment with fear and anxiety and still choose, God, we're going to still look to you. We're going to still run after you. We're still going to believe you for big and beautiful things. In a moment of crisis, the crisis that we're currently in, the calling of the church is to be a non-anxious presence. That while everybody is losing their minds and worrying and freaking out, that the heart posture of the church is not to run in the same way, but to be a non-anxious presence presence that in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and the worry that the people of God are people of peace because we have direct relationship with the one above it all that all things are under his feet and that no matter what happens to us as followers of Jesus we have an unshakable hope and the resurrection of Jesus. And so our calling is to be a people of peace because of the presence of God. Now I know this moment seems scary, it seems to be looming, but right here, right now, is a moment where the presence of God can break in and He can do what only He can do. What if I told you that all of this was just a setup for God's presence to come breaking in into our moment? What if I told you that all of this worry, all of this stress, all of this anxiety is really just God moving and shifting things so that He can let His presence be known, that His church can be flourishing even against suffering and persecution, that right here, right now, we are in the birthplace of a move of God. And I believe right here, right now, we are living in the the moments just before renewal. 
Now, this idea of renewal is often conflated with the word revival, and it's often conflated with the, the word awakening. And I want to be clear about our definitions. Renewal is this. The refreshment, release, and advancement that comes when, they are, when, they, when we are realigned with God's presence. The refreshment, release, and advancement that comes when we are realigned with God's presence. Revival is when that happens at a very large scale, that it's happening over cities and things of that nature. I believe that right here, right now, God is breaking into our story. That right here, right now, God is breaking in to want to do something that he can only do. Right now, when, when, when chaos strikes, it causes people to reevaluate their lives. It causes people to reevaluate their values, what's most important to them, and start to call into question, what am I living for? Because if we're all honest, all of us get caught in the mundane routine of life. It's eat, sleep, work, repeat, eat, sleep, work, repeat, right? And we forget that in the middle of all of this, the God of the universe is longing to be with us, to meet with us, to speak to us. And in a moment like this, it causes people who maybe aren't otherwise religious or aren't otherwise looking to God to begin to look in His direction. And it is a moment for Him to break in, speak, heal, save, redeem, and show up like only He can do. And so I believe right here, right now, God is calling us to partner with the work of being a non-anxious presence. That in your work and at your school and wherever it is that you are, your social media presence, you're not propagating the continued fear and anxiety and worry and what are we going to do and how are we going to go about this, but, but this hard posture of peace. And that us being a people of peace will draw people in into the presence of God. Now, for the Thessalonian church, they were not people who uh, were foreign to suffering or foreign to hardships. That when Paul the Apostle shows up, as we'll talk about here shortly, he showed up and there was uh, extraneous circumstances. There was hard things happening to them. They were suffering. They were suffering underneath the hand of persecution and hardship and financial things. There was all sorts of things happening to this church in Thessalonica. And when Paul comes in, he brings in this gospel message into that kind of a moment. And so as Paul is writing this letter, reflecting back on what took place, he remembers where they began. And he tells them this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. The first thing he says is, uh, brothers and sisters, loved by God, he has chosen you. The first thing we need to understand about renewal is that renewal begins in the heart of God. That it is God's heart to redeem, to save, to heal, to restore, to realign us with His presence. It's in His heart. God is not a distant God who's just aloof in heaven just saying, we'll see how this all plays out. He's not just somebody playing a board game with our lives and saying, well, we'll see how this you know, shakes out in the end. But God's heart is burdened for his people. The first thing that we need to understand is that we are loved. 
that the, the, the overarching theme of the scriptures is God's reckless and desperate love for us is so strong, it is so powerful that even in the midst of our rebellion and our sin, he still comes to pursue us. He still comes to be with us. He makes a way for us to be reconciled again with him even though we've been separated by sin. The desire in the heart of God is that every single person be realigned with his presence and it's born out of his deep love. Now he does all of this, not because we deserve it or because we're so awesome or we're so great, but it's because he loves us. It's not because we do a lot of good things. It's not because here on earth we're showing him we're doing such a fantastic job at stewarding this whole thing. It's because of his love that he loves us, not because of anything else. It's not anything else we bring to the table, but it's God in his own heart setting his affection on his people. And it's because of that love that he wants to be with us. The next thing we need to know is that we are chosen, that we as a people are chosen. We are not chosen as individuals, but we are chosen as a people in Christ, that in the person and work of Jesus, all of us have been chosen by God to be welcomed back in again to the family. That in Jesus, you have been called, called to a life with him, called to forgiveness, called to a deeper, more meaningful, more satisfying relationship with the one who made you. You belong here in this family because of what Jesus has done for us. And every move of God is born in his heart. And it's born out of us being loved and us being chosen. And Paul reflects back on this church in Thessalonica. And he says, you guys are so loved. And you guys were chosen by God for this moment, for this time, to be his people, accomplishing his purposes through his presence. The next thing Paul says is this, um, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. The next thing is that markers of God breaking in, markers of renewal are power, presence, and conviction. So as Paul would show up into the city, he would go and he'd preach the gospel. And so he would go into these large city centers, these large areas where people were gathered, and he'd go and he'd preach. And at first he'd start in the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues, and then from there he would move to uh, just like some different open air preaching, some different areas where Gentiles were gathered, and he would go and he would preach. And Paul says, you want to know how I know God wants to move in you? You want to know how I know God's evident in your midst? He says that when I was preaching to you, I did not come to you simply with words, but with the power with Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. First is power. One of the things we fundamentally believe at Zion City Church is God is still in the business of doing what he's always been doing. That the ministry of Jesus continues on with his people. I believe that this means healing. I believe that this means uh, people getting uh, divine words. I believe that this looks like the spiritual gifts laid out for us and the manifestations of the Spirit laid out for us in the scriptures, including prophecy and different things like that. We believe that God is still alive and speaking and moving amongst his people. And that can't be mustered up from within a human being. It only comes from divine power. That when Paul would show up in a place, people would get healed, people would get saved, people would be, lives would be changed. That from his hands would continue to flow the ministry of Jesus and that Jesus was in the business of saving people, of healing people, redeeming people. And so Paul says, I know that this is happening in your midst because power follows it. 
And this is something that we want to pursue as a church. We want to pursue the things that God is doing. As a people, we, want to, we don't want to be people who just say we believe that God can still do these things, but we're the kind of people who walk in the faith of saying, we're not just going to say, I know that God can heal you, but we're going to pray and believe that God will heal you. We're not going to be the kind of people who says, I know that the Holy Spirit does things in other places and other ways, but we're going to be people who seek after his face, to pursue after his heart, and to welcome him to do whatever he wants to do in our gatherings. The next thing he said is that, that he's, he knows that this is the case because of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit manifested himself in their midst. Now, Paul doesn't give specific details as to what that looks like, but I know that wherever the Spirit of God is, he does what only he can do. He speaks a word only you and him would know, right? He does the things that only the Holy Spirit can do. And the last one is that when this, when this, when this power, when this presence comes in, it looks like conviction. One of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict us, is to realign our hearts with God's heart. It's to show us our areas of faults and failures and point us to the one who can redeem and heal us. And so for us, we know that conviction is, the, is, is, is a fruit of the gospel. It's that when the gospel goes forward, it is a confrontation of your own brokenness and a, and a realization that you need Jesus. You need him. You need what he's done on your behalf. And you need the power of the spirit that he's promising you to live the life he's calling you to live. But it looks like conviction. It looks like God breaking our hearts. I know that here and now, Zion is in the midst. Uh, we're on the cusp of renewal because God is right now speaking to people about sin in their lives, about areas of brokenness, about our shadow sides, about the areas of us that we think that nobody sees, that nobody talks about, that nobody will acknowledge, that we think we keep, to keep buried way down deep, but the Lord is shining a light on that moment right now. And he's saying, I want to break it into your life, but the only way I can begin to move in your life is if we bring this to light. And that right there is the work of conviction. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's not a job of a person to bring conviction on another person, right? You've been doing a lot of these really bad things and you should really consider the, it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict a person's heart and to cause them to look at Jesus. The next thing Paul says is this, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of our Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. The next thing that renewal looks like is integrity and discipleship. So it was really important for Paul and Silas and Timothy as they came into Thessalonica is that they would live lives that would match up with the gospel that they preached, right? They could not say, come, repent of your sins, look to Jesus, let's go to the bar, right? They could not say, come, come to Jesus, the one and only God, but let's go worship Zeus together, right? They had to have a consistent life. To be a person of integrity is to be a person who is a whole being, you don't have different sides of you. You don't have the sides of you when you're with your friends and the sides of you that you're with your family and the sides of you when you're with your spouse or significant other, right? You're one whole person. There's not these multi-faces of you. To be a person of integrity means behind a closed door, in the dark, in the secret, and out in the public, in the light. You are the same person. That there's no variance and no differences here. And this was important for Paul because he says, you know how we lived among you. He says, you want to know the testimony, the evidence of God moving in our, in our lives is you saw us. 
You saw the way that we lived. You saw the things that we did. Now, for renewal to take place in our city, guys, it requires us to be people of integrity. We can't be people who call people to come and to worship Jesus and to follow Jesus and to turn to him for everything, except we have all these areas where we don't do that. We're, we're hypocrites. We're living in hypocrisy. For God to begin to move, it is always birthed out of a place of integrity. The followers will be become like the leaders. And Paul knew that. That's why he says things like, follow me as I follow Christ. And this does not mean that integrity means we're people who are perfect, because Paul certainly was not. But he was somebody who was honest. He was the same person all the way around. You didn't get different sides of him. Everywhere he went, everything he did, he was honest and open and vulnerable and real. He was a person, and so was Silas and Timothy, of integrity. And that's where renewal begins, is a small group of people saying, we're committed to this for real. Not just sometimes, not just on Sundays when it's convenient for us, right? Not just whenever we feel the need to have to do it, but all the time we're going to be people of integrity. And the next thing that that looks like is then, as people of integrity live in the way of Jesus and teach the way of Jesus, they bring other people into that way and they begin to teach them how to follow him. This is the heart posture that we have. This is the way that we conduct ourselves. This is the way we don't conduct ourselves. And it's not based on legalism or preference. It's based on the example laid out for us in the life and teachings of Jesus. And so Paul says here that um, you became imitators of us. You became replicas. You became copies of us. And by doing so, then you ended up becoming copies of Jesus. And this is the model of discipleship in the church. That somebody who's been following Jesus says, hey, let me teach you how to follow follow Jesus and then you start mimicking their lives and both of your lives are mimicking the life of Jesus that's basically the model of discipleship here and that's crucial for renewal to break in into our moment for us to experience the power of the presence and the moving of God we have to be living in his way we can't be living in our own way or living in rebellion or living not congruent with what the scriptures teach, but living in the way of Jesus to experience the life of Jesus, to experience the power of Jesus, to experience the God breaking in into our world. And he says that you manifested this to us by this, by welcoming the message in the midst of severe suffering. And not just welcoming the message, but he says this, with the joy being given by the Holy Spirit spirit that as followers of jesus we have joy in suffering that we emulate jesus most when in times of suffering our heart posture is joy and i want to be clear joy is not happiness right happiness is based on circumstance happiness is when the person paid for your drink in front of you at the starbucks line right happiness right is when they finally have toilet paper at the grocery store right <laughs> happiness looks like all sorts of things like chick-fil-a is giving out free french fries today or whatever it is right happiness looks like all sorts of things but it's circumstantial right that happiness is easily taken away when the person paid for your starbucks drink right but what you got was like a decaf latte right what you needed was the caffeine you know so happiness sucked away it's like i'm glad this is free but this was not what i wanted right and so uh, happiness and joy aren't the same thing happiness is based on circumstance joy is a heart posture joy is a response regardless of circumstance because joy is rooted in hope 
Now, uh, hope is a strong confidence in God's future. And we've been talking about this in our community groups. It's a strong confidence in God's future. It's not a wish. It's not, I hope things go better. It's because of everything that Jesus has done and everything he's promised to do, I can have a strong confidence in what's to come because of the life that he's lived. And so joy for us is rooted in circumstances aren't good right now. Again, this isn't ideal. This is not the ideal circumstance that we want right now. But as followers of Jesus, we can have joy because we know that this is not where we're staying. This is not where we're stuck. That God's not just, you know, hands off, we'll see what takes place. But right here, right now, he's actively moving and doing things. And because of that, we can have joy saying, I don't understand everything. I don't know how all this is going to pan out. Me having joy doesn't mean I can predict the future, but it means I know who I entrusted my future to. I entrusted my future to the king of the universe. And I don't know how this is going to shake out. I don't know if it's going to get worse before it gets better. I don't know how all these intricate things are going to play out, but I know one thing, that he's promised to be good. He's shown himself to be good, and I know he'll be good in the future. And though we may go through suffering, and it's important that we understand this, that them having joy in suffering doesn't mean suffering stops happening. No, suffering absolutely takes place, but it's having a heaven's perspective of your struggles. It's starting to realize, actually, these things aren't breaking me. These things are just forming me to trust in God more, that these things aren't uh, insurmountable circumstances that we can never conquer, but these are allowing me to live and trusting and relying upon God to move in my life. Joy, brothers and sisters, is not an emotion. It's a heart posture. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on the one who our joy is found in. And our joy is found in Jesus. And he says this, um, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith everywhere has your faith in God has, be, has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves give a, give a report the kind of reception that you gave us. So what was happening is this church was lighting on fire. This church was breaking out in renewal that people were coming and experiencing the life of Jesus. Now remember, this wasn't years and years and years of Paul faithfully planning a church. This was happening in a matter of weeks that people were turning and coming to Jesus. And, and Paul says that what's taking place in Thessalonica is being heard all around the known world. He says the world is freaking out about what's taking place in your city because of what God is doing. He says the message is being wrung out from there. It's that same idea of a bell or a gong being hit and the reverberation of that sound echoing out into the rest of the place, right? Echoing out into the rest of the city. And that is what he's saying is happening in this breaking in of renewal, is this echo of renewal is shooting out throughout the cities, saying something is taking place in Thessalonica. And this is my deepest prayer for Zion that what would happen here in our city would ring out to the rest of the known world. That people would be losing their mind. That one, they would hear about us and say, where? <laughs> what? What place? south of Albuquerque, you know, but in this little small town, but that God's presence would be breaking in into our city, breaking into our moment, that in a, in a moment like this where there's fear and worry and anxiety, instead the people are responding with generosity and kindness and, and stewardship and wisdom, and that we treat one another with respect and kindness, that what would happen is the church would respond in a moment like this, not prone to feel like everybody else, but ready to respond in love, and that what would happen here is God's presence would break in, people would come to know him, come to faith in him, and that sound would echo out into the rest of our city. 
echo out into the rest of our county, echo out into the rest of our state, echo out into the rest of our country. Paul says of this church that they have become a model. Now, as we're going to see as we go through the rest of the book of First Thessalonians, this church was not perfect. They still had a ton of flaws, but they were a model. Why? Because they were running after the presence of God. They had faults, they had failures, but they were rooted in God moving in their midst. We have problems, right? We have issues. But what's going to mark us to be a kind of church that becomes a model church, a church for other churches to look to and say, we want to be like them, is never perfection, but it's health. It's a desire to still pursue after Jesus. It's to admit our faults and failings. It's to be uh, self-aware and analyze move towards God. But the biggest desire of my heart is that what would happen here in our city would break out and those, the echo of the renewal would go all throughout our city. Happening in these small rooms, on this live stream, wherever we are, that God would be breaking in into our moment. Then Paul says this, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for, the, for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Sorry. The next thing is this. Renewal looks like repentance, waiting, and justice. The first thing that Paul says that these people did was they turned away from their idols. Now, this was a huge thing in the time and place. It wasn't that they just stopped showing up to the, whatever they were worshiping at on Sundays. The idols and how they would worship and these pagan gods were central to the life of this church or central to the life of the people in Thessalonica, that it was a part of the financial structure of the city. It was a part of how these people got livelihood. It was a big root and core of, of how these people lived. And so whenever they forsook that, they were absolutely outsiders. But they turned away from idols. Now, I know that you're thinking, like, great. We already don't do that. Like, we're not going to go worship, like, Buddha in a temple. Like, we're not going to go worship Baal or Zeus or anything like that. So we're fine. But idols are anything that we put in the place of God. Now, in America and in our Western age, we absolutely have idols. We have the idol of success, that we will do absolutely anything to get to where we want to be to have the job title that we want to have, to have the income that we desire, we'll do anything to get there. We'll lie, we'll cheat, we'll still, we'll throw people under the bus. We also serve the idol of sex, that what I feel and what I desire is the most important thing about me, that I'll do anything and I'll abuse anybody and I'll manipulate any person to get the things that I want. That this is just, uh, you know, adults having fun, so it's no big deal. But we have put uh, sex in this position of idol. And if there's anything in the scriptures that conflict with your view of sex, you say, God's wrong and I'm not. We have this idol of sex. We have this idol of acceptance that we all want to be loved and cherished and seen and, and not have any conflicts and not have any issues and be cool with everybody. But we lay down our values and what we hold most dear to us for us to have that. For us as followers of Jesus, for renewal to break into our moment, it looks like repentance. Every single person in this room and on the live stream has things right now that the Spirit of God is speaking to you about. Areas where you have things before the Lord. You have things before, um, your values are misaligned. You say that, I, I believe that Jesus is Lord, except this thing is dictating all my decisions. This thing is dictating how I live my life. This thing is dictating the, the decisions that I'm making and the way that I'm navigating through my journey. 
And for us, it looks to turn away from idols. And this does not mean just put them in a shelf and pull them out later. It means to repent, to turn around, to never look back, to burn them, right? To burn, not literally, but right? To burn away the idols out of our lives and look towards the Lord. And God right now is speaking to you about some of those areas in your life. And what the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to do right now is be like, ah, conviction. Suppress, 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 deal with that later. You know, whatever, just get through the sermon. But he wants you to, to take a step in that direction. God's wanting to do something in your life. But for him to begin to do something in your life, it starts here. Turning away from idols. The next thing he says this is that they tell us how you turn from God from turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So for us as followers of Jesus there's a time of waiting. We're living in between what Bible scholars call the already and the not yet. Jesus has already conquered death. He has not yet brought his kingdom. And so we live in this tension of there's still sickness, there's still disease, there's still hurting, there's still cancer, there's still selfishness, there's still brokenness. So how do we live in a moment like this? We wait well. We, uh, waiting doesn't mean that we just cross our legs like we wait at the DMV to get our license or anything like that. But waiting looks like working. Waiting looks like continuing to pursue after God, pursue after His presence, um, run after His heart, and, and accomplish His ministry here on earth. But we do have a season of waiting. There's an aspect to all of this where it's still not yet. And so for that, we wait. And lastly, he says this, in whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, talking about God's wrath is like not the most popular thing, right? Unless you're like in some super like crazy like Baptist fire brimstone bringing down the fire on you, right? Unless that's what's happening, right? God's wrath is not something talked about, but it is something important. Now, for all those of us who are like thinking, well, I like to think of God as like loving and gracious and kind. Same. But for him to be loving and gracious and kind, he has to be just. God cannot be okay with rape and murder and cancer and all the evil that takes place in our world. God is a just God. What makes him good is that he's just and that he's going to deal with these things. And why we have hope is not because, you know, one day it'll all work itself out, but because God will bring justice. When you face pain and when you face struggle, what gives you hope is not just, well, it all has a purpose. What gives you hope is saying God's going to make this right. Now, what that looks like isn't up to me and you to decide, right? What we want is we want revenge, and that's a whole different thing, right? It's like somebody hurts me, we're going to hurt you back at 50,000 times worse and make sure you know you never mess with me again. God is a just and a good God, and He deals with things how they should be dealt with. But why we have hope is because we know that He will deal with these things. And so as followers of Jesus, we long for justice. Our desire is that things will be made right in the world, that all the areas of pain and suffering and hurt that God will make right again. We long for justice. And so for us as followers of Jesus, that's a desire that we have. And a part of that looks like God's wrath. And wrath is not like God is temperamental and he just stubbed his toe and the wrath is him coming and, you know, tearing all this. Wrath is, is, a, is, a, is a thought out, justified anger. There are things in life that should make you angry. It should make you angry when you hear a about a child being abused. That should make you angry. That's a, that's a part of you that's like God, is that anger that rises up within you because you know this is not the way that it should be. You should be angry when you lose a family member, 
with somebody you love and care about because death was not the intent of God in his heart. Death was not his intention for how things were to be. You should be angry about those things. And God is too, but he will make them right. And that's what wrath looks like. Wrath looks like God making things right again. Now, as followers of Jesus, we, the, as the text tells us, we've been saved from this wrath. That we contribute and contributed to the evil and the pain and the hurt in the world alongside everybody else. But God and His grace and His mercy has given up His life that we would have life and forgiveness of sins. And because of that, we now have life with Him. That we now have been, the life that Jesus lived has now been imparted onto us, regardless of our mistakes, regardless of our past, regardless of even of our current decisions. The cross and what Jesus has done covers our sins. And we've been rescued from this wrath. Now I say all of this to say this, that I believe right here, right now, God is wanting to do something amazing in our midst. That right now, though it seems crazy and a struggle and a fight and all these different things and all these moving pieces, I want to let you know we have peace because God is actively moving in our moment. God is actively moving in our midst. And we have hope. But there is a responsibility on our part. One is to seek after his heart. As followers of Jesus, we have to plead with the Lord. We have to pray that our battles are fought not in the arena, not in the public arena of social media conversation and standing on the streets, but our battle is fought in the place of prayer and of worship. There's a responsibility for us to be seeking after His power and His presence, that we walk in the things that the Spirit is doing and that we trust in the things that God is doing here in our midst. And it looks like presence. It's actively inviting God into our midst. And it looks like conviction, responding to the areas where God's calling us to turn away. It looks like us being people of integrity, people who are the same person everywhere that we go, that we're consistently people who are looking like Jesus and that flows into discipleship, that we bring other people underneath our wing and help them to follow in the way of Jesus and it looks like us turning away from idols repenting these areas that have lordship in your heart these areas that have control in your life you forsake those things and you run after Jesus Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing here in our midst. We ask that you go before us in our week, Lord, that you provide, you protect, you would uh, have provision, Lord, and everywhere that we go, favor everywhere that we go, Lord. Um, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. Um, God, help us to be a church, Lord, who rallies together in this time, Lord, who seeks to see your, um, your, your goodness, your fame, your deeds known in our city, Lord, and known throughout the world, Lord. And would this be, um, would, would Zion City Church, Lord, have coming out from it the echoes of revival, Lord, that these would be, um, that, that, that the sound of what's happening in Zion would ring out throughout our city. We ask this in Jesus' name. To see all the new content coming from Zion City, follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. And to partner with us financially, visit our website at zioncitychurch.net.